Jeez, Dad, not the car again. Oh, happens all the time with old Betsy. Have you checked out Carvana yet? They have thousands of cars for under $20,000. But do those thousands of cars have personality like old Betsy? Betsy's held together by tape. And there are raccoons living in the engine. It's a family car. Uh, there are flames on the hood? Ah, custom paint job. No, Dad, the car's on fire. How many cars did you say Carvana had? Visit Carvana.com to shop thousands of cars for under $20,000. We'll drive you happy at Carvana. When Arsenal knocks on the door of players, it's a different knock than other clubs. Clubs, clubs, clubs. The Different Knock, an Arsenal podcast. But what made you so sure that this was the best place and this was the right decision for you? It's Arsenal, you know. Come on, it's Arsenal. Welcome back to the Different Cricket Podcast. Well, we talk about all things cricket, because why would we talk about the thing that meant I came in last night and watched The Devil Wears Prada in my underpants (laughs) while eating cake and uh, woke up on the sofa at 3am? Why would we talk about the thing that made me feel like that? Why, Why would we? An Arsenal podcast with Alexander Maddie-Penny and my very good friends, Bradley Adams and George V. First things first. I can't even speak. First things first. George, welcome to the main podcast. Welcome, welcome. It is a pleasure to have you. Oh, I thank Listeners, you. Listeners, uh, George is going to be joining us from here on out. Um, you've uh, heard his dulcet tones on the uh, main podcast before I put a bonus podcast that we had out. Uh, but George is a, a lovely man, first and foremost, but also... Top ball knowledge, baby. Top ball knowledge. Um, so, uh, no, we're very, very excited to have George here. So welcome to the main podcast and and hello. Um, but we do, unfortunately, have to talk about football. Um, American football, that is the Super Bowl. Yeah, baby. <laughs> <laughs> that Mahomes, dude. Oh, he, got the, he was on the defense, dude. Oh, we can't do accents as much now, bro, because we, it feels like we're taking the piss out of George, even though George is Canadian. No, no, no. Go go for it. I'm Canadian, no, and we're normally very nice. That's, that's like... <laughs> if, is if, if we end up talking, if we end up going back to this, Alex, it may be a bit difficult oh, to understand. <laughs> <laughs> now, if I hear an about that's more about a, like an aboot, that's when we're in trouble. A boot. Okay. <laughs> oh, okay. A boot. That's a boot. And, you, and okay. at the very end of one of our podcasts, George went, eh? eh? <laughs> I was like, there it is. <laughs> there it is. There's the Canadian. <laughs> Arsenal oh, one, Man City three at the Emirates. Um, I was there sobbing into my... Into my... Into Rowan Tickle's chest. Life. Into, into <laughs> my old acting teacher's chest. <laughs> oh god, it was a painful night. Let's start with let's start with you, George. Go on, let's do it. Uh, we'll, let's start with your word of the game and your overall feelings on uh, on how how that how that went down. Because God, I I'm not okay. Yeah, well, okay. So I mean, it, it would be nice to talk about emotions, but I think my word is going to be experience a little bit. And when you kind of have a look throughout the game, just generally. Um, it was a game of two halves, um, and I just think one team knew what it was like to play that occasion and be there before, and another team didn't quite know what to do in that situation. Um, we've been talking about kind of just in the last couple pods how this team has slowly been playing in patches and how we've gotten 
you know, from no gameplay to really 10 to 15 minutes of spurts, and then now to a game of a half where we really did step up. I felt the first half, there's a lot of positive things to talk about. I think we'll be very smiley looking back on it, um, how we played aspects in the first half. Um, but in general, I did want to say, I think we have an eight problem. We've been talking about it slowly. We've been touching on it a bit. I know in the instant reaction, we kind of got into it a bit more. But I think that this team has had an eight problem in terms of what we have to do to respond to kind of the Gabriel Jesus injury. And when I have a look at the game, I feel as though Pep did struggle to kind of react to what Mikel had prepped for the boys to do for the first 45 minutes. Um, but then I think in terms of the second half, it was a real page turner in terms of City really taking the onus and the ownership of the game. Um, and I think that that kind of experience of being in a title run is always something that I had a little bit of reservation on when I kept talking in group chats and with people about the ability of this team because I think the pressure leading versus the pressure chasing are two very different things. Um, the, the, the domination um, in terms of the gameplay where maybe you might look at the 10 pass sequences, all the stats, they look favorably. But in those key moments, when we talk about those key individual errors, um, that stuff, you know, City don't make. Um, and, you know, they don't make in the right moment. I thought that when City pressed, it was very particular. I think Pep didn't really ask them to press in the first half. Um, and then in the second half, when they knew that maybe we would fade from a little bit of pressure, that's when he really turned it on. And I felt as though that they really parked in our own half at that point. Um, but there was a lot of interesting battles on the pitch. And I just felt generally that this team, um, you know, they're, they're emotional. And, and that can be good and bad for you. But sometimes what you need is a um, calm head to really stick to plan. And unfortunately, some of our leaders, and I hate to dig them out because I think Granite Shack has been so good for us generally this season, had one of his worst games for us this season. Um, and I think Martin Odegaard also similarly struggled to impose himself on the ball. Um, and so that's something that you definitely need if you want your attack, which is lacking one of its major figureheads in Gabby Jesus, to at least thrive and not work off chances. And despite that, we're walking away frustrated because I think Eddie had almost three goals on the pitch that he left um, in very big chances terms. Like, I don't think they were small chances. We really should have done better to at least get it on the target. Um, so I, I don't know if it's terribly tactical to say frustrating, but it was very frustrating. But unfortunately, I just think the experience shone through. Yeah, I think this is a huge, there's a huge emotional component to this game, a huge emotional component and a huge experience component and all of the kind of stuff that we feel like are maybe soft factory things or things that we think are perhaps um, things that come secondary to what, to what happens on the pitch, I think play a huge part in this. I have to say I was at the game, so I, I ha and I was sat behind the goal, so I have a very different perspective on what happened and how uh, probably when we get into the tactical side of things I, I feel like I've got probably a different perspective and from what I've seen in terms of the response so far I feel like I've got a slightly different view on the game and, and that's and that's natural but what I would say is my word of the game is sad because I think what often, what often happens in these situations is we we look for someone to blame we try and find you know it's it's the referee or it's this player or it's that player and i think we can look around and go okay yeah as you as you mentioned Nketiah left some goals on the pitch obviously tommy asu makes the mistake and you know is it, are the subs late or the subs gabriel late? makes a mistake for the other one gabriel makes we can we can go through that list but to be honest none of that sticks for me none of that sticks because it just feels sad and the sadness i suppose is in the space between the expectation and the reality and the expectations of the game coming up 
you know, in the day of the the feelings, you know, I, I couldn't do anything all day. I was so excited. I was so nervous because of what this could have meant, what this could have been, you know, what this could have, have done to our season to have a, a win, you know, a 2-1 a late winner. You know, what could that, how could that have galvanised our season? I was there at the Emirates when we um, beat Wolves last season and I, I wanted another one of those moments and going, you know, we can we can do this. And last season that was the top four and this season it's for, it's for the title. Um, and having those expectations of what it could have been and then the reality of City just being in a different spot to us. City are just in a different place. I don't think there's any blame to go around because City are in a place where they have Kevin De Bruyne, Erling Haaland, they take off Jack Grealish and bring on Phil Foden. Like, we will get into and we will talk about our issues at A. I felt as though we weren't breaking the lines properly. I felt as though there was a lack of movement ahead of the ball. I felt as though there was, um, we were spending, we, Zinchenko and our sort of left pod were having far too much time on the ball. There's lots of stuff that I feel like we could have changed. But overall, my feelings are just sad because I'm going, we're not there yet. We haven't arrived. We're not that team yet. We are still too young. We are still, it may happen, but we it's still ahead of schedule. Do you know what I mean? Even if we win the league by 10 points, it's still ahead of schedule. It's not, it's, it's not a reflection of realistically where we all know this team is. So it is sad because it's a kind of crash back down to reality uh, from those from those wild expectations. But yeah, Brad, come to you. To bounce off of you, uh, sadness is kind of the perfect encapsulation of, of my feelings towards the match. I think I mentioned to you on text, it feels I'm really starting to get bored of, I feel let down because I think so so often in the last, if we think back to the kind of five last really, really important games for Arsenal, uh, the Spurs home game last season, winning it guarantees us top four. We shoot ourselves in the foot and we lose it. Baku, um, you know, the Brighton game. All of those moments really, really, uh, it feels like it's been a long time since we've had one of those games swing our way for whatever reason. Um, and whilst I, dis- I disagree in a certain sense that I think that there's there's blame to be held by certain people and that's the, the only way we can progress because I think it's really important to 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 highlight that we lost to the best team in Europe in the last five seasons and two of their goals come from individual errors and individual moments and it, you we have to highlight them and say you know their mistakes and and kind of hold that because it makes where we are so you know, it's so, so brilliant, the fact that we are this young team that have these rash moments in us and we do hold these mistakes, but we're still joint top of the table with a game in hand. Like, it's... And I, I think for me, my word of the game is lacking uh, for a lot of reasons. Uh, like George said, we lack the experience to, to play this occasion. Um, and I also think that uh, we are currently lacking the freshness off the bench to have big, big impact. Uh, and I think we're also lacking certain profiles um, within this squad as a, as, a, as, a, as a whole that means that games like this are going to happen. We're missing, you know, our £50 million star striker. Whether you believe his, his future is at striker or not, it's, it's, it's kind of neither here nor there. Gabriel Jesus is a massive miss for any team, whether he's playing out on the wing or through the middle. And we, we missed the profile in the middle of the park to 
to orchestrate things a bit better. I think Granite Jacker really, I love the man. He's had one of the best redemption arcs I mentioned on the Instant React last night. I've, I've seen in football you know it's I, I, Alex will tell you how much I hated him and I've got his name printed on the back of his shirt like I love the man but dropped a zero out of ten it was a horrendous performance for me um but I think that and I, I, I think you know Alex will say it's because I love love me a bit of football manager but I think that it is also because we lack things that we need to go into the market to get and that's what City have been doing for the last 10 years since this big amount of money has come in. They've been able to go into the market, like you say, and pick up Riyad Mahrez, a, a player of the year, and pick up Kevin De Bruyne, a player of the year, and have them on their bench for some games this season. And Arsenal miss an elite bagsman up front. We cannot have some our only option at centre-forward right now through injury, missing those three big opportunities. If we want to progress be an elite side, win titles and win Champions Leagues because those are the moments that separate you from, like Eddie is, a, a good player, like a high quality player to that elite level. And those are the opportunities that a Haaland takes or maybe an Osserman takes or another profile takes and the, the level below that don't take and it costs teams points and it costs them positions. And I think that we just, we lacked in that second half so much uh, gumption almost that um, that's what it's difficult to take because we were so good in the first half uh, the second half just really felt that's the letdown moment for me yeah no I, and I think um, when just to bounce off kind of Brad's point there about what this team lacks I think um, when I analyze the qualities in the squad because for me when I when I have a look at players I'm very reminisced not to individualize someone or something as in we have to go out and get this player or this target, and that will change the fortune. For me, I look at qualities. And so one of the biggest things that when I look at that midfield is central running power. And really the only player that we have right now is Emil Smith-Rowe, and he's injured. Um, and we know how important he is. But when you talk about players that can turn on a dime and change the tempo of possession, that is something that Arsenal have struggled with with the last 18 months. I wouldn't say it was just the last three or four games. It's the idea that we have consistent people able to up the tempo. And when you have a look at maybe a city, and when you have a look at them having Gundogan, who can do this, you have a look at Bernardo Silva, who they can change to go on the wing and replace a Riyad Mahrez, but do the same thing, change the tempo of a match from different areas of the pitch. That is one thing that I think that this Arsenal team is lacking and one thing that we need. And that's what makes the Gabby Jesus injury so hard for us because when you start to look at replacements in the squad, I've said this before, I think it's maybe Emile Smith-Rowe and arguably Trossard, who we just recruited, who could change the tempo of a match through purely just accelerating play. This idea that we maybe don't need to find the extra pass through a, a U-shaped pass or a wide switch, but somebody that can take it on the half turn, drive, draw players in, and take people out of position. Because when you start to look at kind of the future of positional play and how do we beat it, fundamentally everybody's going to have great structure. When you start to look at it, the teams below us, and we're already seeing it, Brentford, Brighton, Newcastle, teams are going to adopt this kind of mentality. So you have to look at it from a, a kind of an opposition manager standpoint. How do we beat ourselves? And that's constantly what I try to look at. And I think for me, I just was left frustrated by this match because I said it pre-match. I am worried about the central running power in the middle of the park. And I don't know if going like for like positionally 
is the same thing as going like for like profile wise. That's been my biggest frustration when we have a look at maybe even Mikel's ability to deal with change from an injury in the starting lineup. I think he gets there naturally, but he's slow to recognize that potentially just swapping somebody in like for like, i.e. what is the difference between a Tomiyasu and a Ben White versus a Thomas Partey and a Jorginho, it's not as simple for me as plug and place when the profiles are so drastically different. And that is because the squad lacks in certain areas, but it also means as a manager, I don't think you can play the same way or demand to play the same way when your players can't do some of those roles. Yeah, it turns out I have to unmute yourself to talk on this. Who knew? Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, it, it's. I think I think you're you're highlighting something that I felt last night, George, which which is really something missing in the center of the park, and and I don't necessarily reject that idea that it's it's central running power. Um, I, I think I was sat in the clock end. I was sat behind the goal. It's funny because I was boasting about going to the game, and I keep every part of me wants to be like, "Were you at the game, Brad?" But it's it's like it wasn't fun. Do you know what I mean? I I recognise how lucky I am to be there, but it was not. It was the first half was a great experience. The second half was was horrendous. Um, the yeah, sort of sitting behind the, the ball, it just feels like there is a a lack of verticality, which can mean a number of things. It can mean lack of penetration in terms of passes. It can mean a lack of uh, balls over the top. It can mean a lack of a profile up front. It can it can mean a, a number of things. But but perhaps you're right. Perhaps it is that sort of central running power, and 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 your head just starts to look at Xhaka, doesn't it? And 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 this is the thing, and and this is why Brad like want to come back to like it's that blame thing. I think we should and can look at those individual moments and go, yeah, Tommy Asu should do better there. And I think it's important to take the lessons from whatever we can do. But I also think we just aren't at the place of City. We 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 aren't. So I think trying to trying to sort of look at this game from a perspective of like, oh, we we didn't do that, this, that, and the other. As George said, like they every team's gonna have a great structure. City had a great structure. We were both in like a nice four four two out of possession. We were both like you know, we went man for man in certain. You know, once they were sort of behind their in their first phase around their box and stuff, and that was really working for us. And then that sort of shifted and stuff. And there's a real lovely back and forth sort of chess match. That isn't my problem with Mikel, and it never has been. I've I've no worries that Mikel. Yeah, okay, he might get it wrong sometimes, but every manager's going to get it wrong. You know, Pep overthinks. Oh God, but I think there's a. It's about. It is about profiles and it's about getting the right profiles in. So the the feeling of sadness that I have is that we're not quite there yet. We don't have all of the tools. We're fighting slightly with one arm behind our back, not only because of the players we don't have here in the market, and that we, but also the players that we do have here that are unavailable. So it's the feeling of sadness of like, oh God, I know we can do it, but we we just haven't got everything that we that we need to be able to do it. And and that's when we come to, okay, so what do we need? And um, perhaps I'll come back to you, George. I think we do need something in the middle. I think, think we do need a central running power. My my head turns to our right fullback. And I, th- I just felt last night that there was a, a space for some more progression down our right-hand side. What's your overall feelings and and this is the thing i don't want this to turn into a 
a transfer conversation, but because 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 the the the, the structure doesn't feel like it's it's the problem. It just feels like we don't have everything we need to to get there. Yeah. Um. Oh wait. I'll I'll, I'll come to George and then I'll, I'll go to you, Brad. Um. So when when you talk about, I guess the difference is it really comes to analyzing what is it that Tommy Asu gives you that Ben White doesn't and then vice versa. So when you talk about maybe even some of the defensive differences, I think that in 1v1 moments, Tommy Asu individually could be argued as our best 1v1 player in the squad. Um, but when you start to look at maybe combining some of the faults that maybe having a partner in Thomas Partey versus a Jorginho has, I think things become a lot clearer. And what I mean by that is that kind of five-yard horizontal agility. That is what Ben White gives you. And so when you're starting to be left with looking at the right-hand side that seemed to have a bit of a chasm, if you stick a Tommy Asu in the deep buildup, naturally, Martin Odegaard is not going to be able to take up the positions that he's been taking up all season, which have been a different role for him. I, I think last season, it was far more a final third orchestrator, somebody combining a little bit more high up the pitch. And that is something that I don't think is what his natural instinct is. When Martin Odegaard first receives a pass, he receives it to recycle as opposed to go forward. And when you have a Tomiyasu who likewise is more of a center back, I call it, in profile when he receives. When he receives the ball, he sets, looks to recycle, and he can do it with both feet, which becomes very good when you're building up. But if you want to transition from your third to the middle third, which was the real problem, I think, in this match fundamentally, it's not the same as a Ben White who receives off a touch-and-go. He receives to kind of play forward always. Now, again, that can be a con at times, but really it is the major difference in kind of philosophy between the two players when you're looking at kind of an offensive sense. And then when you kind of analyze some of the ability of Ben White to have that running power over 20 yards, it becomes even more clear. Um, you're looking at a player right now um, in Tomiyasu, who is somebody that is very accomplished technically, very good at his job when given a role. However, if you're asking him to have kind of the creative freedom in the final third to drop a half-space cross, to consistently provide an overlap in deliveries, he can do it in moments, as we've seen with the Eddie chance that I'm sure we'll get into. He can do it, but is that his instinct? I don't know. And instinct for me is something that we don't talk enough about with players because I think that arguments when you look at transfers as a whole become a, oh, can he do this trait? Can he do that trait? Well, these are professional footballers. If you coach them, they absolutely can do a skill. However, is it replicable over a long sample? Is it something that they traditionally will get into? I don't know. And so when you have a look at that right-hand side, I agree with you. I felt it lacked dynamism. It lacked the ability to really push back Manchester City, particularly when you have a look at what was our likely mode of hurting them. And that for me was through the wings. I would have thought that the left-hand side was a better idea against Kyle Walker matchup-wise, because I think Ake did a really good job on Saka. But when you have a look at how he was playing today, or rather yesterday, it was it was frustrating because I thought Bakayo Saka was unplayable at times. And he didn't have enough support. He was left on an island a little bit, and he was asked to do jobs that he shouldn't be asked to do, but can do. And so that almost gives the illusion that everything's fine. But for me, it wasn't quite right. And we lack people stepping on each other's toes. And I thought that could be same, really, for the left-hand side as well, when you looked at Granit Xhaka and Zinchenko generally. But from the right-hand side specifically, because that's the question that was being asked, I just think that Tommy Asu being a lot more deep naturally as a player meant that Martin Odegaard 
was forced in higher positions and it allowed him to kind of hide a little bit more, something that he wasn't doing all season where he was being involved in buildup. And I think that the other option that is there, if you're going to have a Martin Odegaard in that role, recognizing his instinct is to drop, recycle, and look to play other people's in, mean you need a runner. And I think Bukayo Saka has needed a runner for a very long time, by the way. I've always said, we need to give him the superstar treatment. That boy is the MVP. Let's treat him as such. Just because he can take on two or three players and leave them on the touchline, I don't necessarily think that means the best for the team. For me, it's getting your best players as close to goal and as frequently as close to goal as possible. And that involves basically getting him inside. So for me, I definitely would look to have a Ben White type or somebody that consistently provides an overlap for um, Bakayo Saka to operate in more central areas. Brad, you get to talk about the transfer market. It's a big moment. Um, the point I was going to make earlier, I think you picked up on something, Alex, when you said about not having the profiles available through injury. Same thing happened last season. Big, like you know, not having Ben White against Tottenham was one of the major reasons we lost with Rob Holding losing his head. Um, and it's a shame that that again, and the season's not over. It's a shame that that kind of demon has reared its head again. And maybe there's a conversation to be had about certain squad members who have consistently mi- missed big moments throughout the last couple of seasons for us, and whether we need to consider their place within the hierarchy. Um, but yeah, I, other than just making this a complete wank fest and, and echoing literally everything that George has said, we need something different on that right-hand side. The, the problem is, is we're consistently getting a floated ball into the box through Ben White and we have no one in the middle big enough, strong enough or tall enough to get to it. So it's it becomes redundant. And I think if you look at the squad itself, we're we're stacked. I think there's probably space for two or three additions in the summer before we hit our 25-man kind of limit. And one of those has to be um, a six or somebody who can play six to an elite level like Declan Rice. And I think that's why we've been linked. But one of those spots is kind of Alex has spent a lot of time talking about the grouping of defenders as in like having a right-sided group and I've because of how well Ben White was playing at the start of the season and how well we were playing I was thinking okay well maybe we need to look at investing in a right-sided centre-back rather than a more traditionally attacking right-back profile but I think that conversation has flipped on its head now and we need somebody who is athletic who can run who can whip many different types of balls in from that right-hand channel so that we can get Saka from that fifth lane to that fourth lane easier and easier and easier. Um, Because you made that point, Alex. I can't remember what game it was. Maybe it was the United game where we brought Tommy Asu on and that put Saka from lane five to lane four and we get that opportunity outside the box. We need a player who's going to do that for the 90. Um, Good. You are brilliant. Uh, and and because Ben White is so versatile and Tommy Asu is so versatile that they can slot in at right centre-back, if we lost Saliba but had this attacking profile at right back, I don't think that we would be as vulnerable putting White there or Tommy Asu there. So it's kind of changed the conversation on transfer market for me. I, I have no clue who that player is, but I think it's imperative. It's Brooke Norton Cuffey and there is no conversation because he's he's an academy graduate and he's he looks cool. That's it. 
<laughs> That's who but, it is. <laughs> we have this, but as in, I have this conversation with you all the time, Alex. And I think the thing that we need to, and I think there's a really interesting podcast or article or deep dive to do into this. I did it a while ago and I looked at the finance. Arsenal have shed so much financial weight in the last three years in terms of wage. Um, oh God, what's the word? In terms of like wages just on the books, like we concretely have to pay. And in terms of like, actual space like there's so much money that's been shed off and been saved for a long long time and with Champions League finances I think that if we want to be as good as we can be we have to be as brutal as we can and kill our darlings in a sense like we did with Joe Willock and like we have with other players and as much as Brook Norton Cuffey has been good in the championship and probably deserves a run in a Premier League level it's not at a title contender and it's not at a Champions League contender. It's very rare that you go from playing good championship football to the winners of the Premier League in an instant. It, it just doesn't happen. You need experience. And I think that whilst what Arsenal do is is very admirable, um, if we want to be successful, some points we're going to have to be cutthroat and bring a player in who is ready to perform at that level. And if Norton Cuffey is good enough, he will come in and supersede them. Um so I think it's a market thing. I think all of the all of the problems that we currently face are market problems because whilst Balogun is good, I don't think he solves um, certain deficiencies we have in our front line, uh, but obviously would be a very helpful tool. Um, and whilst, you know, I'm sure there's, there's a lot of talk about this, Lewis Skelly, while he's good, the guy's like 17 and is not ready to come in and play six or or deputise to an elite level. And the same is it with Norton Cuffey. So I think we need a big summer from Arsenal, especially off the back of the first Champions League football in five, six years. And if we win the title, it's the best opportunity to drag players into the club. People say, who's your winger buyer? I tell you, Williams, Bergovic, Michu, Fellaini. <laughs> Get your money out, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> Just got off to play from Ecuador. <laughs> Go on, George. Yeah, so um, when you have a look at kind of what we need, I, I, I agree with you. I, I think there's a lot of market problems, but at the kind of behest to bring it back to from transfer market to kind of the Man City game, one thing that I do think that we lack a little bit, and I'm going to, you know, criticize Mikel here a little bit, is his ability to kind of transition from an injury. And I know I, I, I can't do it. And if anybody knows, talking about youngsters is kind of my thing. So I really should have gone off on that route. But, um, you know, for me, it, I think that Mikel needs to have a little bit of blame in terms of when looking at the repertoire of the last three seasons and looking at how he responds to injury from his main cog. And when you have a look at his structure, he's brilliant. We've said it. He is brilliant at creating a plan. And he won't always get the plan right. But if you're asking me right now in world football, how many managers do you think are on his level tactically? There aren't many that I would argue are. Um, and, you know, one of his peers we just faced, but I actually think he gave him a very important lesson. And that is sometimes when your structure, um, you can't play it, you have to change it a bit. And, you know, it, the switch of Bernardo Silva from kind of deep to right wing with Riyad Mahrez is definitely something that I think was a big moment in the game. Um, and I think... When you have a look at it, those are very different profiles, and immediately the City team adapted to a difference in who they had on the wings with Riyad Mahrez, with Bernardo Silva. That is not something that necessarily we've done. The coach has asked the players to respond to the system, whereas right now, that City team 
are so ingrained in the idea of positional play that they realize the players don't have to respond to the structure. You know, the structure responds to the players. And that is a very big difference, I think, when you talk about fluidity, when you talk about understanding of the system. It's really that abstract moment when you ask somebody in school, can you repeat a concept for me? Yeah, sure, I can do it on a test. But no, can you do it in real life? Can you apply what you've learned in real life to situations that aren't always perfect, that aren't always ideal? That, for me, is that last step that maybe this team is lacking. When you talk about the sadness, when you talk about why everybody is so annoyed, is because we can see that future. We can see that floating car where this team is going to get there. But right now, I don't know if they've got the confidence and the intuition as a young team to brag about it. And I have said sometimes, look, Bukayo Saka, the one transition I'm waiting for, by the way, is not the nice boy, the humble boy. I'm waiting for the killer, the arrogant, the the moment where there was one time I'll never forget it when we were facing Norwich and, you know, he embarrassed uh, Brandon Williams um, after getting kicked. I will never forget that moment because Aww. for me, oh, it, it was it was excellent. And for me, I just thought, go on, son, go and embarrass him. Get a little arrogant because you need that. And that killer mentality, I think, can be summarized in three big chances missed by Eddie. Another one by Bukayo Saka, by the way, who found himself free in the middle of the box. It took a second too long uh-huh. to pull the trigger. But, but these are the things when you talk about experience, when you talk about let's not rely on the structure to give me that platform. I am the platform. So go out, believe that. And, and I just think that difference is something that, you know, Mikel can do a little bit better at um, incorporating when his big players are missing. So whether it's a Thomas Partey, a Karen Tierney of past seasons, um, the current Gabby Jesus problem, the the thread line is very similar. It's a matter of, do I trust like for like positionally? Or do I recognize that some of the profiles that I've got can't play that way? So let me achieve the same goal with a little bit of movement in a different way. And that's okay. I am the profile. I am the one who knocks. (laughs) Arsenal had lost one. their last... Just needed to hit it first time. It was heartbreaking. Oh. Their last 11 league games in a row against Man City. Their worst run of defeats against any single opponent in their history. Right, let's do some... Let's do some game actual analysis uh, before we head into news and views because we are half an hour into a podcast about a game of football. So we should probably talk about the game of football. The incident with Tommy Asu, I'm watching it now. I obviously... I watched it live. I haven't been able to face watching it again. It's just a mistake. And I think Mikel says something after the game about how he hasn't seen Tommy Asu do that in seven years. Um, and you get punished. And it's like, it, th- this, this is the issue, isn't it? It's like, there's sort of no real story here other than Tommy Asu makes a mistake and they have the quality to 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 make us pay for it. And it's a lovely chip ball from a chip ball, lofted ball from uh, Kevin De Bruyne. I think he scored more against us than any other Premier League team. I might be correct. Um, it, feels like, it feels like almost every player has like their, is it Jamie Vardy is similar with us. It's like he scored more than us. It's like the so weirdest. Many... The, the weirdest one is Shane Long. Was the weirdest record. Where That's I, it. <laughs> he hasn't scored and he scores against Arsenal. <laughs> The penalty incident that went for us. Thoughts on that, Brad? Oh, it's a penalty. It's clumsy. I think it, you 
you, and, and I think it also, again, we'll get to the second penalty call later on Trossard. It's the same incident. You don't just, whether the shot has been taken or not, you don't get to rugby tackle somebody in the box. Because if you look at where Eddie is and you look at, if you take Edison out of that scenario, you just pick him up and pull him out. Eddie's in the perfect place to run to that uh, cleared ball from, I think it's Ake on the line and, and tuck it home. But he can't be there because he's been absolutely flattened by the goalkeeper. It's uh, Edison's more of a midfielder than a goalkeeper. And it's it's one of those that has, it's, it's rarely given as a penalty. I've not seen it, like it doesn't get given a lot of the time, but it has to be. You you don't get the right to rush for the ball, not get the ball and just clothesline the player, no matter whether the pass comes off, no matter whether the shot comes off, because you're, uh, you're affecting the then next 15 seconds of the game in a really serious way. So uh, I think it, it's a penalty. I, I wouldn't be upset if it was a penalty that was given against us. Um, if there was that much contact. So, uh, yeah, it's definitely a penalty for me. I found the conversations about Edison time-wasting interesting. Like, he was a bit, but there is there's something, I think it, it, it is an influence, I can't remember what game it was recently, but I said, I was like, that would never have been a card or it never would have been a sending off. I, I really can't remember the incident if it wasn't in this stadium. And honestly, being in the stadium, I cannot tell you how obvious it is that just the crowd getting on the referee's back about Edison time-wasting made the difference. And I think this is why Mikel is so keen. And if you if you look at Arsenal's social media channels, there is evidently a concerted effort to get the players, to get the manager, to get the fans. There's so much media that comes out saying, we need the fans, we need you guys to... Because it is a competitive advantage. There's an Erdogan message before the game, Arteta posted, uh, posted as if Arteta's on... <laughs> Arsenal.com <laughs> writing it out himself. Yeah. Yeah, they, they really no, get their like, money's worth. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he's running the social media as well as the club. Yeah, he's a social media manager. He earns his four um, million pound a year. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, there, there's evidently a concerted effort to 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 get messages out, which which when you're in the stadium, because I was at the game, I don't know if I mentioned, um, you really you really do feel like you feel a massive a massive pull. Um I thought something that are structurally maybe, but again, this is all about quality of, of sort of individuals to some degree, but also, you know, it can be instruction as well. City, when they're approaching our goal, the out-to-in runs from De Bruyne and, and Haaland are just lethal. And this is really what I felt as though the second goal is about. Um, Bernardo Silva, is it Bernardo Silva? Hang on, I'm just watching it now because I've... Uh, um, yeah, Bernardo Silva picks up the ball and Erling Haaland uh, has this lovely little moment uh, and then Grealish does a nice little out-to-in run and arrives at just the right time. Gundogan arrives at just the right time to give him the ball. Um, I think it takes a slight deflection. Would Ramsdale save that? I don't know. It possibly, but I think I do think the deflection has a big impact. George, thoughts on that one? Yeah, no, I, I do think the deflection played a big impact. But for me, the breakdown was on the other side of the pitch, um, really where you're focusing on that kind of out-to-in run. Because I, I, I think, yes, you know, um, Aaron Ramsdale, for me, does save that. I think, actually, Jack Relish is lucky that that deflection goes through. He doesn't strike it with the cleanest it of right contact. Yeah, and it would go right at the keeper. But um, 
for me, the breakdown happens at the other side. And so when you're trying to understand those quick switches, you know, we've employed them in our own structure, right? Like we, we understand the principle of the quick switch, but we didn't do a quick enough job of kind of stopping that run. And, and for me, that kind of is something that we need to do a bit better. And when we have a conversation maybe about the midfield problem with our eights and what it offers, I actually think this is the best example of why you need a consistent overlap if you're going to have kind of an inverted winger in quotation marks, you require your center mid as duties to do that out to in run to allow your wingers to come inside and create that switch. That's what gives them the space. Now, does it need to be the midfielder? No, it could be your right back. It could be your left back. It could be a fullback, no problem. But when you have your profile of fullback being Tomiyasu, it doesn't end up happening from our perspective. But from a city perspective, it was a brilliant out to in run. Um, it was understanding where the space will be. I think um, there's been a lot of conversations on the double up on our wingers, but City are notoriously good at understanding when to draw your opponent to a certain area of the pitch before switching and recognizing the space on the opposite end. And I felt as though it was a very big ploy, by the way, to get Grealish more involved in the game because I felt in the first half he wasn't. He was a little peripheral um, for Manchester City, and I think that switch to allow Bernardo Silva in meant that they basically had a, a midfielder there that was able to really draw more players in through his dribbling, which is what happened to us. We got sucked into it a little bit. We wanted to commit more players forward. And I just think Zinchenko and Gabriel struggled a bit in their communication of who to pick up and when. And that led to problems because that whole left-hand pod struggled defensively. It drew more players in and it broke down our structure. So when you talk about the eights and what happened in the second half, that was it for me. I think they dropped far too deep, and what it left was a big gaping hole on, you know, kind of their left-hand side where Grealish was to exploit if they could find the right ball. And look, if you're asking me, can Bernardo Silva find a ball in a really small pocket of space? Um, yes, he can. And so um, that was really the big issue for me. Um, and I, I do think Gab or Tommy Asu does what he can do for it. It's just I think Brad was talking on the instant reaction. If you're going to block, block it. Um, or if not, allow the keeper to see it. Um, that is something that I can sympathize with, actually, um, particularly from a goalkeeper's perspective. Um, but uh, for me, the, the, the switch is really the problem. I, I think we need to do a better job of picking up uh, those out-to-end runs because I don't think they were um, unusual. I think we've done them ourselves. It's just the players weren't able to uh, kind of follow their assignments defensively um, mm. in that position. And I can tell you that the 15 minutes before that goal was conceded, I think, was it 15 minutes, maybe 10 minutes after the second half? I can't remember. But the, they were asking the, for the, it. The, the, peri the, yeah, the period before that, we were. I don't want to sound like Tony Pulis, but there was there was, you, when you're in the when you're in there, you're sort of going fucking get it out. Like there there is that sort of just kick it long. I heard someone behind me go, look, I know it's the modern game, mate, but fucking hell, <laughs> like you're just like, it, and it it is that a bit. You're just like, oh my god, please. And the thing is, there was some lovely playing out, and I really admire the bravery. And I think especially against such a high press, it's at, at times that City employed, um, you know, it's 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 fair enough, but yeah. I just felt Zinchenko, and there's a whole conversation about Zinchenko to be had, but he just had one extra touch, just a couple of times, and that's and that's what kills you because it allows him to come on to you. And yeah, watching the goal, it's, it, I just feel for Tommy Asso a little bit because it's just, Ramsdale's probably going to save it. It's right at him and it just flips off his calf and just takes a slight deflection and goes in. 
And then the final I goal, think you know, right I'm, I'm thinking in the sense of, sorry, mate, I think you're right in the sense of as well, like the story of the a big story of the game for me is extra touches happened all over the park i the amount of extra touches granit xhaka was taking there's a beautiful picture of martinelli perfect spacing in the middle um and enketia perfect spacing on the left granit xhaka takes an extra touch or two opportunities gone um zinchenko taking extra touches and then losing the ball on the edge of the box that that was a big big story of the game last night is not having the bravery to release first time in shooting in passing in a lot of aspects yeah, I agree. I agree. Um, and yeah, you know, I'm, I'm looking at the goals and I'm going, first one, Tommy has to mistake. Second one, probably going to be saved. Third one, it's a ridiculous take and, and shot from Haaland. I mean, like... Oh, yeah. And this, it's and this fucking is, sensational. It's it's one of those really underrated skills to be able to, to pull that ball back and immediately get your shot away so accurately. It looks simple, but it's really, really not, especially when the ball's travelling at that pace. So... Yeah, and and the thing is, it's you know, it's it again. It, it all sort of comes back to my feeling of the game, which is the sadness that they're just at a different level. And when mistakes are made, they can punish you, and they make and they punish us three times basically in terms of our structure and um and just in in terms of their individual quality. Go on. Yeah, just uh, really quickly. Um, I think the biggest difference that also you could say that we were doing in kind of the first half of the season was responding to difficulties. Um, I think when we did get scored upon, um, you know, in the earlier parts of the season, we responded within five to six minutes. Um, you know, that was really a regular thing on the few times we did go down. And when you actually have an anal- a little bit of an analysis on what happened and why, I felt there were two situation guys for me when we were at even ends that we really should have scored with the Eddie and Kedia chance, but then afterwards with Bukayo Saka as well. Um, there were opportunities at 1-1 and at 2-1 that for us we needed to be more clinical on, and they weren't just small chances. For example, the Eddie one, I know people are saying it's probably difficult for Eddie to get there, but for me, if I'm a coach, you have to get there. You're a striker. You're knowing when the cross is coming in, where it's going to be thrown. It's going to be thrown in the mix zone between the, you know, the keeper and the six-yard box. And he's on the last shoulder here. It's a beautiful cross to Tomiyasu, and it's at a point in the game that, for me, I knew when that was missed, I immediately sunk, personally. I was like, we're not yep. winning. Yep. And, and, yeah, and, and it's just... And it's not just the idea that a Holland gets to it or a superstar gets to it. That is the clinical difference between where I think City are and Arsenal are in general. Because I don't think Eddie is the only one to have missed that kind of chance. I think Gabby Jesus has missed that chance plenty of times before his injury. Um, And it's not just an individual. It's the team maturity at that point in time um, to be kind of the nicey-nice versus the killer, which is what I was talking about earlier in the pod. Like, we need more killers. And that's why when I look to the market in terms of what we need, we need another player because, for me, I don't think we do enough of a job to kill games off when we can. We play with our food a bit. Yeah. How many How many times do your, does your mother say, stop playing with your food when you're a kid? Just eat it. Eat the damn thing. <laughs> I feel that way with Arsenal Triggered. when I watch us. <laughs> 100%. It's just, I feel as though that we are a team that does the right things, that teases you a bit. And doesn't come through with the final action in terms of effectiveness, maybe in the final third, so I can actually bring it back down to tactics and not, you know, mom past PTSD. But um, that that for me is just the biggest frustration when I kind of look at the game because, like you said, Alex, uh, it was coming um, for me uh, before the goal. Uh, you looked at it. Uh, Ramsdale had to bail out Zinchenko uh, moments before for a very poor bit of play and build up, and then when Gabriel makes the poor mistake, 
I actually don't think Zinchenko's in a great position, and maybe we do have a conversation about him because I think it's not just this game. He's been emotional in build-up for a while. The same technical competency that we give him credit for at the beginning of the season has not been there. And in fact, a lot of the decision-making, it worries our back line. And um, I, I do think that a conversation has to be had about when you want to replace your players that are struggling and recognizing at the same time he's a very important leader to the squad and it doesn't undermine it when you recognize maybe he needs a break ben white had it maybe zinchenko needs a little bit we have three hotheads in that left hand pocket and that's not good gabriel is a very emotional player he's been one of our most reliable center backs uh, but he's a very emotional player and it's his willingness and want to to rectify his own mistake that causes that second goal by rushing out. Zinchenko, very hot-headed player. We saw it after the FA Cup game that he was fuming. Even after the game, can be good at some points, but really leaves you lacking. And Xhaka as well, very hot-headed player. All three, you cannot have three of the same personalities in such close quarters and not affect it to eventually light a fuse that's going to fuck you up a couple of times a season. And it's just unfortunate that that is happening kind of consistently in the last few games. Zinchenko trying to be Superman, like you said, Alex, and smack every ball in from 45 yards. Gabriel just throwing himself everywhere. Um, and Xhaka just nowhere to be seen. Um, yeah, it, we need we need somebody to calm that presence ASAP. What's what's the opposite of a shit sandwich? Arsenal have dropped twice as many points in the last Premier League games, 10, than they had in their previous 17 matches. But that was City's lowest possession figure in a Premier League game at 36% since they played at the Emirates in April 2012. That's good. But Arsenal haven't gone four Premier League games without a win since December 2020. That's the opposite of a shit sandwich. We'll see you. How are we going to do this? After this. And then George George sings the News and Views theme tune. That's it. There we go. <laughs> Which I'm sure you know off by heart, George. <laughs> That's it. There we go. <laughs> uh, we'll, just, we'll just keep it the same, Brad. We'll see you. After this. Jeez, Dad, not the car again. Oh, happens all the time with old Betsy. Have you checked out Carvana yet? They have thousands of cars for under $20,000. But do those thousands of cars have personality like old Betsy? Betsy's held together by tape. And there are raccoons living in the engine. It's a family car. Uh, there are flames on the hood? Ah, custom paint job. No, Dad, the car's on fire. How many cars did you say Carvana had? Visit Carvana.com to shop thousands of cars for under $20,000. We'll drive you happy at Carvana. News and Views. Welcome back to News and Views, where we give you all the news and all your views, but mostly ours. Thank you to those of you who support us on Patreon, on patreon.com forward slash diff not get access to ad-free versions of the main podcast, weekly Patreon-exclusive bonus podcast, and the Patreon-only instant reaction for just £3 a month. That's less than the price of a coffee a month, George. Can you believe it? And it really would mean the world. If you're a fan of the YouTube, there's a specific tier for that too. Speaking of coffee, for one-time support, head to buymeacoffee.com forward slash diffnock where you can buy me a coffee. <laughs> the links, it. as always, are in the show description. The Question show description. in from at GN0M3YY. Oh, know me, but with a zero and a no three. Me. Got you. 
what do you think about Martinelli regarding long-term positioning and by extension any recruitments which could take this into account e.g. targeting another way but let's 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 ask the Martinelli question uh Bradley how you where's your Martinelli meter right now um I think if we're talking about his future positions that's going to depend on how his body develops um and if he puts on a lot of muscle puts on a lot of size yeah sure could turn into a center forward but that's that's something that we're not going to be able to predict or see. So I I, I always see that conversation as a bit redundant for now because he is so young. Um, I think he's catching far too much flack because if you look at everything that's happening currently on the left-hand side of our pitch, it's not good. So how can you expect the player that's playing there to be playing well? I can't count the amount of moments he's been open and we haven't found him. I can't count the amount of moments that consistently Gabby Jesus would have floated out to that left channel in the last five games and Eddie Nketiah doesn't. Um, and George made a great point in our instant reaction about um, Granite Xhaka's kind of Don't believe you. superpowers. Uh, well, sign up to the Patreon and you can listen to it. <laughs> um, yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, and it's he's not the pre-assist guy. He's 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 either the person making that kind of ghosting run into the box getting that shot off kind of being the final shot or the final ball like and George will put up much better and it's going off my memory from 12 hours ago after a couple of whiskeys last night but I think that that's having a massive effect on Martinelli's play he doesn't have a left back who's going outside of him so he can't come inside as much and he doesn't have a central midfielder either ghosting those runs in the same way because Eddie is so central and he doesn't have Xhaka going, okay, I'll go on the overlap on the outside. So I think that Martinelli's form in the last five, six games is not just down to Martinelli having a slump. And I think it's really unfair to characterise it as such. You have to take the broader perspective into play. And if you look at the way that that left channel, that whole left channel is currently functioning, it's piss poor. So you can't expect to then lay the entire blame on one player. And that's why I think calls for Trossard to take his squad position or that it's something to do with Martinelli's ability are really unfounded for me. Yeah, so um, I think if you're having a look at it, uh, maybe I'll answer the question because I think Brad put it great, you know, in terms of the current problem dynamics. In fact, I'll just add really quickly, even if you were looking at Bakayo Saka's take-ons per 90, they've decreased. Um, both wingers have. People are doubling up on us. Shock. They know where our, our strongest players are. Um, so it, it will have an effect, and even more so when your left-hand side is str- struggling to purr at the same moment right now, let's just say. Um, it, I think it does, though, speak as to why. So when you have a look at it, the touchline Martinelli is something that we all know he struggles a bit with. But why? Why is it that he struggles a bit with it? Um, For me, it's because when you look at his dribbling, it has a real proclivity to take somebody out on the outside. It's very rare for me that he likes to dribble with his strong foot on the inside. He likes to come inside off the ball. It's something that he really prefers, actually. But when you're faced up 1v1 dribbling, it's actually very rare that I find him move onto the inside after a feint. It's always on the outside. And so when you have a look at that, That becomes very predictable when you don't have an inside central midfielder making runs on the inside of the box. You take away your option. And so when you look at kind of projecting Martinelli forward, I think this is the biggest difference for me about why I don't see him ultimately as a winger. 
I do see him as a center forward when he's grown out a lot more. And for me, it's because when I look at his superpower, he finds space where there is none. And for me, when you look at that kind of chaotic nature of what he could offer, he has an insane aerial ability, something that doesn't get stated enough. I think it's one of the best we have in the squad. Um, when you have a look at kind of his movement in the box, his appreciation for space, it's almost second to none along with Gabby Jesus and Trossard, ironically. Um, but these are players that thrive kind of finding space and tight blocks. But when you have a look at what their ability creatively is, he's an excellent crosser of the ball, but is he good enough creating shifted space horizontally? Not as much. He's a much more vertical straight line runner. And for me, I would much prefer that kind of in the center of the pitch because I need a little bit more dynamism kind of on the um, on the wings. It's where naturally there is no space. I mean, shock, there's a touchline there, so your options are limited. Um, and, and I do find that we may need a player that is able to offer a little bit more of that. In terms of his long-term potential, I think I've always seen him as a center forward down the line because of that ability to find space where there is none. Uh, I, I think he's become a lot stronger um, dealing with kind of contact back to goal. That was always naturally going to happen. But if you do look at the dynamic, why is it that Martinelli is good with Gabby Jesus versus Eddie Nketiah? And I think it comes down to fundamentally finding that boy in more central spaces. That's really what it comes down to. And when we're when we're yelling at needing somebody, you know, to draw, you know, um, Martinelli inside, I think it comes to the effect we all feel that him touchline is something lacking. I, I think regardless, and you don't get that same feeling I think when Bakayo is touchline. I think everybody wants him inside, no doubt, but I do think that there's a little bit more success on the right-hand side, which is facing similar levels of clunkiness, let's say. Um, and I just think it comes down to Bakayo Saka has a different dribbling method than Gabriel Martinelli. And I think when you're on the wing and you have less options, you are forced to kind of go inside naturally a little bit more. And so that is the key difference for me about whether I see him developing as a winger or a striker. Um, and I do think that aerial ability is something that we need to return to because it is excellent. And when you combine it with the off-the-ball movement and his general kind of proclivity for getting shots off quickly, it's a very potent thing. I know I famously said, he reminds me of Luis Suarez. When I first saw him, that is the comparison I made. And of course, when Mikel said it a little bit later, I patted myself on the back. But um, that for me is kind of the striker I really see him developing into. Um, long term. And so if you're asking me for plan wise, I agree with kind of the Patreon member. I do think that um, you do have to look at what Martinelli may become and it will impact things. But I also agree with Brad. He is young enough that you don't need to put him in a box right away. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I, 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 I tweeted out yesterday something along the lines of I don't think Gabriel Jesus is our long term center forward in the same way that I also don't think because Saka stays on the right wing forever. You know, we've seen we've seen adaptations and we've seen shifts shifts in how Mikel uses players with Ben White and um, you know even Thomas Partey. You know, moving into more of a lone set. You know, we've seen all sorts of adapt adaptations, and, and I don't think it's, we've seen the end of it. I can't believe that Pep Guardiola wouldn't see Jesus as his centre forward and would use him. You know, in sort of different areas for different reasons, and Mikel sees him absolutely as a centre forward. I my instinct is he wants that all phases 
can do everything or almost everything centre forward, the kind of the Kane, Osserman, Haaland kind of profiles like that. But those guys don't come around very often. So when you can't get them, you know, Jesus can do so much, but there is just that, you know, that physical height, I think, and that goal scoring that are the two things that I just, I think for me, stand out with Jesus and, and there's probably more, more technical stuff as well. But um, yeah, I, I don't know with Martinelli. I really don't know. I, 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 I saw a stat somewhere or someone said they saw a stat that Enketi has passed to Martinelli like twice or once or something since the Premier League's restarted or like that connection is just completely broken. So I'm not worried about him losing form. I mean, he's, he's just, he's a top player. So, you know, let's not worry about that. But yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know. I, I hear, I hear what both of you are saying, but I have to say, I, 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 I don't, I don't think he's what Mikel wants as a centre forward. So whether he becomes a centre forward at Arsenal is a separate question, but whether he becomes a centre forward uh, more widely, uh, I can see it happening for sure. We've had a question in from Tricky Reds. How could Smith Rowe play an important role in the rest of the season? George, I'll come to you. Um, the gas pedal. Um, that is a very simple way of putting it. I think uh, Emil Smith Rowe, when we talk about central running power, he is one of the few in the squad that has it in abundance. I think he changes. Um, quite a bit in terms of what we're able to do. Just generally, not even just dealing with an injury to Gabby Jesus, but also as a starter. I really feel we're underplaying the fact that our young midfielder was top goal scorer for a majority of the season um, last year. Um, And we really miss his presence in terms of third man running, but mainly his ability to carry. Um, That for me is kind of the biggest thing that we're going to see in this run-in and that we need to see Um, I've teased it a little bit in the pod. I think that down the line, we need to look at our midfield role um, in terms of understanding potentially a switch. Maybe we look at our left-hand side being a little bit more tempo controlling. Maybe we need to understand that Martinelli, who is more of a straight-line runner, somebody who is far more direct, maybe needs a complement of a little bit more of a calmer head, somebody that wants to initially maybe recycle on the left-hand side. And the right becomes somebody that can provide the dynamic overlap that we keep talking Bukayo Saka needs at a more regular basis. If you're looking at Emile Smith-Rowe, that is him. If you've studied him in the academy, he has always been that right central midfielder. And for me, I really think that we were teasing it quite a bit before his injury. When you looked at a lot of the training videos, when you looked at some of his introductions, he came on as a right central midfielder. Uh, But more broadly, let's not go into position debates. He will give you the central running power that I think this team has lacked. He will give you the ability to change possession on a dime. We won't see the same U-shape concerns for me because we've got a player capable to receive in tight spaces that can carry and bring other people into play. So he's more than just a depth option, more than that. He's a vital member of the squad that we've missed, and I think we haven't seen it. And you kind of don't, you miss something that you don't see quite a bit. Um, and when it's gone, you recognize it a lot more. And I do think with him back in the squad, you're going to see that um, that improve quite quite drastically. Mm. Yeah, I think the the big thing that I felt when when Smith Rowe came into the team in December 2020 or whatever it was uh, was that yeah, as you say, a gas pedal is a good way of putting it. Just that acceleration of play, it's that speeding up and his ability to combine means we we've got a bit more zip around the box, which is where I felt we've, we've, we've fallen down. And, and yeah, I'm interested to see because, because also he's got a bit more sort of, I, I've always, for some reason missed it, but he's actually got a bit of height and stature about him. And he can kind of, I think once he's hopefully once his uh, injury issues are behind him, he's got a bit of 
fucking get off. You know, he can probably try and, you know, sort of stay on his feet um, and, 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 and rattle players that way. So I think there's also something there to, to, to explore with that. But yeah, as you say, there's, there's, that central running power is is definitely there from Smith Rowe. I think he's a I think he's a fascinating player. I don't think he necessarily has a number on his back. I think he's one of those players you deploy in a he's not the same player, of course, but you know, in a sort of Bernardo Silva type way where it's just where are his skills best suited on the pitch at this point. Um and I think he's uh he could be he could play anywhere. I think he's a, a fascinating player. So <clears throat> I think it's more about the options that he provides Mikel, and I'm sure Mikel will be wanting it back very, very soon. Um two more things. A question, but also a uh, um, something that I, I think is I think is really important from last night, and you know possibly will go if we'd won. I think this stat would be pl- you know plastered everywhere. Man City recorded their lowest totals for possession, thirty six percent, passing accuracy seventy two percent, and successful passes two hundred nineteen in a Premier League match under Pep Guardiola against Arsenal tonight, and I believe that is the lowest possession. Pep's ever had in a game. That's impressive, Brad. Like wh- whichever way you you spin it, knowing how Pep wants to play, knowing the principles of play that he wants to to uh, wants his teams to, to 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 play under. That's impressive. Like you know, like we've done something, and we sort of know that from the eye test. But to to see that bearing out in the statistics, that is encouraging because you know. Absolutely, you know, and of, of course, people will say, "Well, you don't get a trophy for that. We didn't win the game. We didn't get the three points." I get that, but you also don't get the three points without doing something like that. So, you know, for moving forward, it feels like it's about fundamentals stuff. moving forward, isn't it? It's like that, that having the ball and being able to strip the ball from the best team in the world for the last five seasons is a fundamental of being a good team moving forward. You know, being able to restrict a manager whose entire ideology is about having the ball and defending with the ball to not having the ball puts them on the back foot. And I think that's why I was, I'm so hot on highlighting the fact that one of the major reasons that we lost yesterday was two individual errors. Because if you look statistically, we had so much of the possession in the first half, we did so much you know, we were a lot better than we were in the second, but we were still able to keep the ball. And, you know, it felt that we handed them those opportunities. And whilst they may have deserved them through their own pressing and their own play and force us into those errors and such, it's really important to fundamentally understand that moving forward as a team and as a club, we have the ability to do that to a manager who is widely regarded as the best ever, um, tactically, especially. You know, Ferguson may have all the accolades, but I, it doesn't come anywhere near to, to Pep Guardiola when it comes to tactics, ethics, philosophy. You see what happens when they when they played each other. Is that it? That's yeah. It. <laughs> it's that simple. Um, yeah, it's it's a really encouraging moment in a uh, entrenched in, in real sadness. And we have to hold on to those moments because they give us the 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 path and the future kind of moving forward. And that's why we have to highlight it because it's really fucking impressive. Um, and to, I think it's also, yeah, I mean, that's it. It's just really fucking impressive. Yeah, and you know what? Um, I will say uh, Pep Guardiola will be looking at that stat and yelling. Um, for me right now, I guarantee you when you have a look at the overall kind of squad that's not just a through line that you know we're using to make ourselves feel better that's actually a very important change 
because it's really your coming out party a little bit. This is the moment when you kind of come back from school and maybe somebody's got a different haircut. So you're you're seeing the start of something new happening, but you know, you haven't seen the effect on their popularity yet. And I think this for me is the one stat that actually convinced me we are on the right path to getting there um, the most, really, because we did restrict them. We did. We did very well in the first half. And of course, we've talked about how we broke down in structure. But I assure you, um, Pep Guardiola is not happy about a team coming to show him how to play football. And I think that for me is almost the worst tactical insult that you can give somebody when you know um, that is what they value the most. And I am sure Mikel was making a point to do that. I am sure he was upset at being little brothered for so long with Manchester City. And I think it's very important for the squad. When I'm little brothered, I'm upset. <laughs> Sorry. <it's so> easy. <laughs> exactly. No, exactly. But it, it's true because I think that this squad, you know, in general, have needed the proof. I, I find that a lot of times they trust Mikel. Um, but in order to actually kind of lose on individual errors, I do think that mentally the squad will look at that as much less than being dominated and squeaking a win, for example. We've needed an, an ability to not just compete, but shove our game down somebody else's throat for quite a while. And yes, it wasn't for 90 minutes. And yes, you're going to say, but George, who cares? We didn't win. I know. But from a coaching perspective, I assure you, Pep is furious. And I assure you that Mikel is coming out of that saying, listen, add a little bit more experience and we are there. We are there. And, you know, I just we think that it, it is. We will be there. We will be there. We will be there. And so it, it is an impressive stat. I don't think it should go unnoticed because it is, um, it is something that Pep values. And um, it is something that Mikel ironically doesn't. And that's what I find so interesting that he was able to create a game plan that basically said, if you want to play this way, no problem. I'll make my team do that as well. No, no, no. I'm so happy. I'm so happy. More than you believe. <laughs> more than you believe. More than you believe. I'm happy. Yeah, more than you believe. Yeah. I was going to do another question, but it would take us down a, a slightly negative route. And I, I, and I don't want to. And I want to finish on this. We've sat here since... Certainly 2018-19, watching those Liverpool-Man City games. We've sat there in the seasons before. Okay, we've had you know seasons in 2016 or whatever when it, it looked like it was heading, heading in that direction. Going, we want to be in these games. We want to be in the games that feel like they're going to decide leagues, the games that feel like they're going to decide championships. And that's the same thing. And I think... <laughs> I think it's really exciting, you know, and okay, we lost, but I'm also going, we are a young team. And when you look at the, when you don't analyze the result, you actually analyze the performance. We had, you know, all, all those stats that we've played out before, the possession stats and stuff, it shows that we have a level of domination, a level of, of control over probably the best tactically, certainly team in, in, in Europe. And, that is extremely, extremely exciting and extremely um, encouraging. And I think... Be excited. When, Yeah, I would say be excited. And, you know, when we know what profiles we need, need to add, we didn't need last night to tell us what profiles we needed to add. It just, it just showed the starkness of it. And then when I actually look at the game itself, I'm looking at those three goals and I think it's, of course, you know, it's, you know, if my grandmother had wheels stuff, but Tommy Asu mistake 
doesn't put his foot out. It's a completely different game. It's a completely different game, and we and we're sat having a completely different conversation. So you know, as much as people say, well, you know, it happened that way. So you know, why talk about it? I always think the margins are so fine in football that we can never get too down and we can never get too up because we know Eddie and Ketty buries that that header. I think it's at one one, and and we're two one up, and it's a completely different game. So. We're really not far off it, and we know what needs to be improved, and we know what needs to. We have a very clear idea of what where we're headed, um, and we will be there. We will be there. We will. Any be closing there. comments before we go to uh, trivia? Yeah. Either of you. Um, best. We 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 were playing the best team in the league, uh, best team in the world over the last five seasons, and it came down to a question of if we had. A, um, a clinician, a clinical player on the pitch, the result is wholly different. And th- and you're talking about one player. If one player up front is clinical, the game is completely different. That is the important thing to understand, that it's very Brexit. They have better players than us currently because they've been able to defraud a league system and buy them. Oh. Allegedly, we haven't done Brad, that. Thank you. We <laughs> we haven't <laughs> bought that player yet. Um, once we have that player, this game's different. It's completely different. Eddie had three golden opportunities he didn't take today. That's a shame. If we had a player that took those three opportunities, the the whole game state changes throughout those different moments. Um, I, I'm I'm not worried, and this is why I think like games like this are going to happen whilst we still have those holes, and it's a market issue. It's not a question of coaching. It's not even a question of the because per- we can't blame the personnel that we have for not being the things that they're not. Um, but that's why this game is is sad because I'm like, well, it's just a question of like actually going and buying something that fits what we need, and that's the sad thing about it is it wasn't a question of how good the football was, it wasn't a question of how good any of the players were it's a question of just literally it's like it's like trying to fucking put a shelf up but you haven't bought a drill yet it just you you need those tools and we will get them eventually and yeah yeah no i i love that because i think uh just generally um it struck me as if you've ever bought ikea furniture which i know is a very north american thing and you've built the entire thing and then you're looking for the bloody allen key the bloody simple allen key to finally Get that bolt. And this is what it struck with. We have the the desk almost there. It's not on the track and it's loose and it just needs that extra bit. But, you know, just closing thoughts. I'm surprised I haven't mentioned it yet myself, but I think the biggest difference is we haven't sat here talking about Thomas Partey. I think that's the most important lesson of this match yep. in general. Um, I was about we to haven't. say that. And, and we have Jorginho who played phenomenally well. I don't want to say ha. Exactly. I don't want to do the haha, I told you so moment that I'm sure all three of us have had because we've defended the boy. But I think it's more than that. It's the fact that we finally have had a major injury to arguably our most important player in the squad in terms of structure. And we haven't felt that that was the reason we lost. I think we felt that it was individual errors. We were close. We were competitive. And that for me is the biggest difference across the last couple seasons because when we have had an injury, it's not just been, we're, we're okay with it, we've capitulated completely. And I feel as though, despite the fact that the second half our structure went, the gameplay in terms of us forcing City back meant 
we didn't need Thomas Partey to do that against the best team in the world. I think that says a great deal about where this project is going and where we're at, um, that we could have somebody come in as soon as January, as opposite as Thomas Partey, and still impose ourselves with our game plan to do that. Um, I think that says a great deal. Yeah. Yeah. No, you're, you're absolutely Let's right. Let's go, boys. Let's fucking go, guys. Because, guys, we don't want to win the fucking league, guys. It's okay, guys. We can do it. Okay. We've still got a game in hand. We've still got a game in hand. Journey's not over yet. We've still got to go to the Etihad. They're going to drop points. (laughs) Belief. He's devolving his standards. I'm upset. (laughs) Uh, We have just, just got time. Just. For a little bit of Arsenal trivia. Last time out, Bradley. Bradley, I'm going to ask you for a yeah, theme. Yeah, I'm thinking. Okay. I'm thinking. Don't yeah, it happens worry, every, don't worry. every podcast. It happens and you every, every week, podcast. Every podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes I don't. Sometimes I'm well prepared. No, that's very Sometimes true. Sometimes I'm really not. That's very true. And George, next time I'll ask you for a theme, please, sir. So, uh, Sounds good. So get thinking. And also, you've got a big Stealing piece. My job. You've got a big piece coming up, mate. These, so, these uh, <laughs> foreigners, these uh, foreigners coming over and stealing our jobs. I was just Come saying, you know, I've got my piece ready. <laughs> you're ready mate you're ready last time out I asked you to name two goal scorers but because there's two of you I'm going to ask for three I would like you to name three goal scorers from Arsenal's and they're all different from Arsenal's 5-2 win i.e. no one scored more than, two, more than one goal name three goal scorers from Arsenal's 5-2 win at Goodison Park on the 22nd of October 2017 I'd like you to name th- between you Three goal scorers from Arsenal's five two win at Goodison Park on the twenty second of October twenty seventeen. Theo Walcott is one, mm. I think. Uh, Nacho Monreal was one too, I believe. Um, maybe Sanchez, maybe San or Giroud. Um, no, uh, I definitely Sanchez. Decide between you. Okay, um, I'm sure. He- I'm sure on Monreal, and I'm sure on Sanchez. Uh, I'm sure on Walcott. I'm, I'm like, are you? I'm nigh on sure because I because I, I think there was, I think there's a clip that always goes around from that game of Walcott getting challenged, getting back up and scoring. Oh, for some reason, I'm thinking Lacazette. For some strange, okay, I'll I'll go with you on Walcott. I'll go with you on Walcott because I'm sure on Sanchez and Monreal. <sighs> okay, it's, it's a t- it's a team effort. We're gonna submit, teacher. We're gonna go. We're gonna yeah, we'll go Walcott. Walcott, Sanchez, Monreal. You should listen to George. The goal scorers no. are Monreal, <laughs> Sanchez, Ozil, Laca. Ramsey, and Lacazette. Oh, gosh. Damn it. Damn. Damn it. It was not a bad guess. I'm not going to lie, because Walcott at that time was uh, was scoring. He, he always scores against Everton, normally. But... Your theme for this week, well, for, for next week, will be uh, was Arsenal versus West London teams. And I would like you to name as many players from Arsenal versus Fulham. And I'm going to say you get to eight players from Arsenal eight. versus Fulham, which was a 3-1 win for Arsenal on the 24th of August, 2013. I would like you to name eight <coughs> players from either side from Arsenal versus Fulham 
which was a 3-1 win on the 24th of August, 2013. And Bradley, it's your big moment, mate. Next week, I would like a question on the basis of Arsenal nemesis, nemeses, players who have scored their most Premier League goals against Arsenal, a la Kevin De Bruyne, fucking Vardy, Aguero, fucking Drogba, Shane Long, all the... Why is every fucking player... You could just pick a scorer against Arsenal and I guarantee they've had the most fucking Premier League goals against us. We're like a charity. Bastards. Okay. Well, that was an absolute pleasure. George, uh, yes. you got a future in this, mate. I think if you work hard, you could you could you could get some ball knowledge. And uh <laughs> <laughs> Look, really what I have to do is I just have to learn to listen a bit more. I have to listen to soak in a little bit more of, of the knowledge that we've no, got no. going on in the What you need here. to do is don't listen to Brad. I mean that is the yeah. lesson. That is yeah, the lesson of the Arsenal trivia. Yeah. Don't listen to a word yeah. he says. <laughs> Just m- massive Brexit. <laughs> Do not listen to a word Brexit this dude says. Over here. Kick it long. Clueless. <laughs> the Tony, the Tony so Pulis of podcasting. There he is. <laughs> <laughs> He's, Boy, at He's at least Allardyce. He's at least Allardyce. We have to give oh, him yeah, the yeah, yeah, from relegation. At least Big Sam. You know? At yeah. least Big Sam. I'm at least yeah, yeah. Big Sam. Yeah, 100% win rate at England, mate. There you go. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Right, boys, that was an absolute pleasure. We will be back. Uh, when are we back? We're back after the Villa game for an instant reaction uh, on Saturday. Uh, if you're a patron, you can sign up to Patreon. Let's fucking go, guys. Spoken about that. Um, to hear the instant reactions. Otherwise, we'll be back on Sunday evening with a post-Villa pod with my two gorgeous co-hosts, Bradley and George. Till then, thanks very much for listening. Keep it different, Knock, and we'll see you later. Peace. Peace. Yes! <laughs> Let's vogue <vogging> go, guys! <laughs>Thank you so much for listening to the Different Knock and Arsenal podcast. Please hit subscribe or follow on whatever platform you're using. If you'd like to support the Different Knock, you can find us on Patreon and buymeacoffee.com. We're on all social media at Diffknock. Thanks! Podcast Network.